Well, good morning. Yeah, just because you have a mask on doesn't mean you can't say good morning. Uh, and we we're so glad to be here. Pastor Jason, I don't know where he's, is, is he in the back of the room somewhere? Uh, but just thank you for that introduction. Uh, super kind words that I probably could never live up to. Um, but I'm thankful for them none the, nonetheless. And uh, thankful to be here with you guys this morning. I was looking at it th- even this morning and, and realizing that it's been since November since I've been physically uh, with you in a worship gathering at, at Nolensville, which is kind of uh, blows my mind. It's usually a much, much quicker clip uh, than I'm out here, but obviously some things have happened uh, since the turn of the, uh, cent- the, turn of the, the year, the century. That's, uh, that was a little while ago. Um, but it, but it, just even thinking about those things, you know, the reality of the last time I was here, there was uh, n- not many of us had masks that we were wearing on a regular basis. Maybe we had a couple that were in our garage for when we were sanding something down. You didn't want to get sawdust in your nose or whatever. Um, only the introverts among us knew what social distancing was. Um, the rest of us were, you know, totally fine with being close to each other. Uh, you, so there, lots of things have changed. But really, uh, even as reflecting again this morning on uh, this moment, the reality of the incredible time that God has put us here to be followers of Christ. Right, to be believers, to be those who, are, who call themselves the people of God is what Jesus calls the city on the hill, the, the light in the darkness. What an incredible time to be alive, right? to be the people of God, to be given the opportunity by God to display, to put on display his peace and his joy, his mercy and grace, to be those who put on display his hope to the natural kind of circles of influence that we have in our lives, in our homes, and with our neighbors, in our neighborhood, and our community. Now, I mean, it, no, no short kind of reality that God put you here, that, that in all of time, God, God saw fit to put us at this moment in history. You know, it tells us in, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus says that he knows the number of hairs on our heads, which I'm going to let y'all not decide to laugh at me for that one. But beyond that, like he knows that, how intimate that he knows that. But Acts chapter 17 tells us that he, he marked out the appointed time for us in history. That in Job chapter 14, he tells us that he determined the number of our days that he's marked out, that we would have on earth, that he's marked out the number of months and the limits that we will not exceed. So he knew. And it's safe to say with confidence that there's some, some joy, some things that we can really rest in. There's great confidence in saying it is not an accident that you are in this moment in history. That truthfully, you could say that God created you. That God meant for you to be in this moment in history. A lot of us complain about all that we've gone through. And I've been in that bandwagon, I promise. But the reality that God has placed us in this time, each and every one of us, and it was not by accident. He meant for you to be here. He created you for this moment. You know, as I was thinking about this and just kind of walking through that, thinking about that moment for us, I feel like saying that even just now, it seems like I'm telling you like a halftime speech. Like, right, I'm, I'm, I'm coach. We're in, the, we're, in the, we're in the dugout. I'm so dumb. We're, we're in the locker room at halftime in the dugout of our sports team. Halftime in the locker room, and the coach is giving that speech, right? 
We're going to go out there and we're going to take our crosstown rivals in this most important game of your life, right? But the reality, it's not a halftime speech. I I want us to hold on to that truth and the reality of it. But in the midst of knowing that, nobody's pretending that there haven't been challenges. Not acting like and not glossing over the reality that there's challenges and conflicts and struggles that each of us have have experienced. And and as if life were not enough, if, if life in general didn't have enough conflict and struggles and trials, then there was 2020. Right after the, after the fireworks finished on December 31st into January 1st, I think that was the last of the good stuff. And then there was 2020. And if, you've not, if, if it's not just the, the, mount, the mountain of struggles and anxiety that, that we experience in normal life, then, then we have the realities of coronavirus. That some of us, maybe it's personally that you have anxiety about getting ill or somebody that's in your family that would be at risk and the loss that would come along with that. Maybe it's the anxiety or struggles that that surrounded this, this situation financially or with your job. Maybe it's a struggle with loneliness. Maybe just a reality that, that being distant and being away from each other is, is a, is, is, has brought on loneliness. Maybe it's not corona at all. Maybe it's the struggle with the political landscape that we see ourselves in that doesn't seem to be getting any better, that is polarizing and it's only going to continue. Maybe it's the the stress and the anxiety as you see the conflict that surrounds racial tension and injustice. Maybe it's just the anxiety that you experienced this morning as you put your mask on and realized that it didn't match your outfit. I'm not sure exactly where it is, but all of us have experienced some level of conflict and trial and struggle. This morning, that's what we want to kind of focus on. As we look at this series, we've been tracking through over the past little bit, the series called Life on Purpose. It's the challenges, the, stri- the, the trials, the struggles, the conflict, even the persecution that we really want to address this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up to Acts chapter 14. We're going to continue to kind of work through this, and we're going to pause just for a moment as you turn there. Just, I'm, I'm going to ask the Lord just to bless our time together. So as you turn there, open up your phones, whatever, whatever, however you're going to go to the passage. I want to invite you to do that, but pray with me uh, as you get to that spot. Jesus, we thank you for this moment. And God, we do believe, even though some moments we, do, we, we struggle to believe that you've created us for this moment, that it is not about accident that we're here. And we don't want to gloss over the realities of the struggles. And so, Father, I pray that your word today would, would, would open our eyes to the truth that you have for us in light of the struggles and the, and the, the trials that we may face. I pray that you would give us clarity, that you would bless our time together, that you would stir our hearts' affections towards you, turn our minds' attention towards you, that we would see you as more and more beautiful, fall more and more love in love with you, and be moved more and more to walk in faithful obedience to you no matter what the cost. In Christ's strong and mighty name that we pray. Amen. All right, so Acts chapter 14 is where we're going to be. We're not going to read through the whole passage. We're going to kind of sprinkle through, uh, but we're going to start in verse 1 and, 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 and start kind of there, and I want to give a little bit, little bit of background. But first, verse 1, it says this, at, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual to the Jewish synagogue where they spoke effectively they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. 
But give us a little bit of background, just kind of catch us up if maybe you haven't tracked so far of what, where we're at. But, but over the past several weeks, what we've been talking through is, is these passages or these chapters in the book of Acts where, where Luke, the writer of Acts, gives us the story of Paul, also named Saul. It starts in chapter 9, and, and there's a lot that's happened from chapter 9 to chapter 14 in the life of Saul. And to just kind of give a blanket over, uh, oversimplification of what's happened in that time, it, it's the reality that God has radically transformed Saul's life. He took a man who was super successful in his career as a lawyer, as a Pharisee, as, as one, a teacher of the law, and he's transformed his life to where now he's a follower of Christ and everything has changed. For Paul. And he's using Paul in some incredible ways to fulfill the promise that Christ has given us to that Christ has given to the disciples to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. And as we get to chapter this, this passage here, what we see is the fulfillment of that promise. See, Acts is a historical book. Luke, the writer of the Gospel of Luke, also write, writes Acts. And Luke is kind of this explanation of the life of Jesus, where, whereas Acts is kind of the explanation of what happened after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and his ascension into heaven, and then the church beginning to spread, the church beginning to grow. And what he's telling us, what he's giving us a, a picture of here, is that fulfillment of the promise that he gave, as we said a second ago, uh, uh, to, that the church would, would spread from Judea, to, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in 13 and 14, we're beginning to see that. We're stepping into the very beginnings of the gospel reaching to the ends of the earth. Listen, if there wouldn't have been a chapter 13 and 14 of Acts, there wouldn't be a Nolensville. It wouldn't be a Rolling, Hill, no, Rolling Hills, Nolensville campus. Because it was God taking Paul and Barnabas out of Judea and, and Samaria to the ends of the earth that sparked that missionary movement to the ends of the earth, which we experience today and continues from this moment on to places that have yet to hear the gospel. In Acts chapter 13, the way that they got to that place where they were being shipped, they were moving off is, it says in verses 2 and 3 that they were, the people in Antioch, the church leaders in Antioch were worshiping together and they were fasting and praying and, and worshiping there. And the Holy Spirit said in verse 2, it says, set apart Barnabas and Saul to the work in which I've called him. And so they then again prayed and fasted and they sent these two guys off with laying on the hands. And they went to the interior parts of Asia Minor, which is now modern day Turkey. That's where we pick them up today. After their first stop, chapter 14, they come to this place in Iconium and Lystra and Derby. And to kind of go back to something that Pastor Jason said, if you were here last week, just to kind of make an emphasis and a highlight for us here, the first thing that I want to make sure that we see here is that every believer, if we're looking at this passage, the first thing I want us to see, the truth that's here for us, is that every believer in Jesus has a call from Jesus has a calling from Jesus, that every believer in Jesus has a calling from Jesus. You have a calling on your life in very specific ways each of us do, and I'm not trying to tell you what your specific calling is, but in a very general way, I have a confidence that in a general way, according to Scripture, that we all have a calling on our lives to live like Jesus, to do the things that Jesus did, and to obey the words that Jesus gave us. 
And what did Jesus do? It says this in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He says that Jesus, the Son of Man, came to seek and to save the lost. And the instructions that he left his disciples and us in Matthew chapter 28 is that we would go and make disciples of all nations. That you and I, each of us as believers in Christ, have a calling from Christ. And that calling, very simply, is to be missionaries. That if you are a follower of Christ, if you're a believer in Christ, it means that you are a missionary. And a missionary, to give a definition to kind of help us wrap our minds around this. Maybe you didn't catch this. Maybe you don't know this. Something that I found out recently or in, in just kind of preparing and studying for this. That the word missionary is not even in the, in, in the book of Acts. Some would argue that the actual word missionary that has Latin roots would not be in Scripture. That there's no place there where there is is disciples. And as a disciple, we're called to make disciples. So a missionary is a disciple, which is all of us, that's making disciples, which is the natural outflowing of being a disciple. So you, as a missionary, the, the definition for us is a disciple that's making a disciple, and that's the generic sense. It's not a calling to a place. It's just the reality that all of us are, and it's all of us are in that place if for, for the circle of influences that we mentioned just a second ago, for our home and our neighbors and our neighborhood and our community. That each of us find ourselves as disciples, making disciples, that we are missionaries. You know, missionaries, when, it, when you think about that word, I, I, I think about when I was a kid and we had missionaries come and visit our church and they still had slideshows. Anybody? And they loaded these things and if it went out, it was totally a, totally a bad day, Right? You click through, this is when I was standing in the hut by the cow. Click, click. And they would always wear the, the dress of the, from wherever they were. It gives us this idea that, that missionaries are something that happens far away from where we are. The, the idea of missionary is something that is, that's often the, the side project, this distant moment that, that, hey, one day I may have enough money and enough time to go on one of those trips that you talk about going on. But, but the reality is that that's not what Scripture tells us. Missionaries aren't varsity Christians while the rest of us are JV. We're all missionaries because we're all disciples, called to make disciples. It's who we are. It's true. And I believe that, we'll, that that reality of those circle of influences that we just need to, rea- to remind ourselves of, those natural moments in our home, moms and dads, that as a disciple, you're called to make disciples. And the first group of disciples may be those ones who drive you crazy all day because there's nothing else to do. You can't take them to the skating, skating ring or bowling, I guess, anymore. We're disciples making disciples in our home with our neighbors, in our neighborhood with all those new kids who have just started riding their bikes down your street. All those new families that you're beginning to meet because they're outside their house and they're beginning, you're beginning to make those, those relationships. We're all missionaries. We all have a call on our lives, and we need to keep moving because we're never going to get through this whole passage. Verse 2, it says this, But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. If I had to divide the sermon really today into kind of two parts, what I would say is the first part would be just kind of recognizing or kind of giving us a couple of truths that we hold on to that are just true throughout this passage. 
The first is that we have a calling. The second is this clearly that what, what's happening in here is, is that to faithfully live out our calling as, as missionaries, disciples making disciples, it will always be met with conflict and challenge. The first thing I want to make sure in the first half of just giving us these truths is that you have a calling. The second in these truths is that if we're going to live that calling out, it's always going to be met with conflict and challenge. It's of the utmost importance that we get that. Not just for the rest of the sermon, but for the rest of our lives. Because if we're going to be, be obedient, faithful followers of Jesus, modeling our lives after Jesus, becoming more like him, being disciples who are making disciples... We're going to see and be met with conflict. You know, if Luke is writing Acts, the first major thing, one of the major things that Luke is writing this story is to tell us of the gospel spreading to the ends of the earth. One of the, one of the other major themes that it seems to be happening if, as you read through Luke is he's telling us this truth. That when the gospel goes out, it's always met with conflict, with trial, with struggle. Paul puts it at the end of the chapter as he goes, to, if you go to the end in verse 22, he's, he's gone from this place and he's moved, gone to these three cities and he's coming back through and he's strengthening and, and encouraging the disciples to remain faithful and true to the faith. And what he says in verse 22, the end of that verse, he says, because we must go through hardship to enter the kingdom of God. It's a reality for all of us. The reality is that if you can be in the center of God's will, like Paul and Barnabas, and still face struggle and trial. Actually, if you're going to be in the center of God's will, you are certain to face struggle and trial. We can't be surprised by it when we experience that conflict, that challenge, and even that persecution. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is in Matthew chapter 11 when Jesus is speaking to the disciples, and by extension to us, when he gives this invitation, he says this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. We don't have time to flesh out all of what's in this passage, but I heard Pastor Jason in one of our staff meetings a couple weeks ago share from this passage, and it was extremely encouraging. The reality of what happens in this passage is that Jesus is giving us an invitation to come, to find life in him, life and, and joy and peace, a life that is, that is, that is an easy yoke, the invitation to, to lay our burdens aside and the weariness aside and find rest. And that rest was from a gospel of peace is the good news that, that he had paid the price for us. That, that salvation and new life and joy was found in a relationship with him by grace through faith. That you can find rest for your souls because it's not the works that you do and the sacrifices that you make. But it's because of a life that he's going to give us and he's gone before us to give us. I love this passage because being one of those individuals who thought I could work on it and make it happen for myself, this passage brought to light the reality that Christ had already done it for me. But what this passage doesn't say, 
What Jesus doesn't say in Matthew chapter 11 is that life, that easy yoke, would be a yoke without conflict and trial and struggle. That he, did, he does invite us into one that we find rest, but it would not be one that we would not face trials. And the reality for all of us is that we are going to, we're going to see sorrow and suffering and conflict. One pastor puts it this way, and I believe that it's so clear for all of us to understand that he says that Jesus is building his church within the enemy-occupied territory. And whenever you talk about Jesus, whenever you lift up Jesus' name in prayer and offer prayer requests on somebody's behalf, whenever you honor his name with your lifestyle and your words, be prepared for the hostility, the venom, the spite, and the utter hatred of the kingdom of darkness. Another pastor says it this way, the easiest way for us to avoid persecution is to be silent about our faith, but... That is not a choice that can be made without denying Jesus' hold on our lives. It's great that pastors can tell us that, but, you know, we can go to Scripture and Paul tells us the same Paul who we're learning about in Acts writes to Timothy, his young protege, and says this. In fact, everyone, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus himself tells his disciples, and by extension again us, he says, I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace, because in this world you will have trouble. On one hand, he's inviting us to come and find rest for our souls and warning us and reminding us that to live faithfully to that one that we would find rest in would mean that we would find trouble. It's a promise, and we can't be sidetracked by it can't be surprised there's a reality for each of us that God is not wasting that experience that our experience of suffering and persecution allows us to encourage others when they face suffering themselves that our experience of suffering is for our good it's for his glory and it's for the encouragement of others who would experience suffering and trials and struggle themselves. That Paul shares in 2 Corinthians verse chapter 11 some of the struggles that he had been through. In 2 Corinthians 1, he tells the people, the, the Corinthian church, that if, it was, if, if we were distressed, if we had experienced trials, it was for your comfort and salvation. It's not without purpose. God's using those things, those moments of struggle and trial when we walk in obedience for his glory, for your good, for the encouragement of other brothers and sisters in Christ. The reality of our calling as missionaries is certain. Suffering is clear and kind of settling that for us. That leaves us in this place where I want to give us just kind of two other things to hold on to, two responses for us as we, as we reflect on these passages and the truth that we're all called to be missionaries, disciples making disciples. That calling is going to be met with suffering. So what does that mean for us? First thing that means is simply that to live faithfully, to live a faithful life, living out that calling requires courage. The courage to live obedient and faithful lives. If you read the passage in, in verse 3, again, he goes back, he's preaching the gospel clearly, and lots of people are responding, but people are stirring up that these, those that oppose him are stirring up conflict around them and the, to the Gentiles and the Jews. And so he says, Luke tells us that, so Paul and Barnabas spent a considerable time there speaking boldly 
for the Lord, who confirmed their message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. That in the midst of people stirring up conflict around them, they press in and stay and speak boldly. That's not the only place. If you fast forward to the end of the chapter, after, just after a group of people, because of the miracles that they performed, parade them through the streets, heralding them as gods, ready to sacrifice to them, just a few days later are ready to stone them. And they actually stone Paul. And it says that after they stone him, they think he's dead. They throw him out of the city. The disciples come around him. He gets up and he goes back in. To the very people who stoned him, he walks back in. And then he travels from there to a city called Derby, and they preach the gospel there, and God is faithful, and, and many trust Christ there, and they come back through those same cities where people stirred up conflict, and they stoned him, and he continues to walk in boldness. It takes courage to live faithfully. Honestly, I would say that I believe the most courageous thing that someone can do is to live steadfast, obedient, and faithful lives as a follower of Christ to the very end, no matter what the cost. Listen, I believe that the most courageous thing that you could do, the very most courageous thing that you could do is to live a faithful, obedient, steadfast life as a follower of Jesus Christ to the very end, no matter what the I'm so thankful for men who fight for my freedom. I'm so thankful for, for guys who give their, who take jobs and do things that are, that are, put their lives in danger. And they are obviously courageous. But the most courageous thing any one person can do in a world that stands against the gospel is to live faithful, obedient, steadfast lives to the very end. I believe that with all of my heart. It's no wonder that in Joshua chapter, Joshua chapter 1 and the first nine verses, four times God tells him as he walks in obedience to the word that he holds to and that he speaks from that he should be courageous because walking in courage or walking in faithfulness to the gospel, to God's word, takes great courage. Because every time we say yes to Jesus, we're saying no to a thousand other cares and concerns around us. A thousand other praises from people, a thousand other, other pleasures that we could take hold of. When we say yes, we're saying no to all of those things. And we're saying no, being okay with the conflict and the struggle, even the persecution that may come, that rises from obedience because we believe that Jesus is better. We believe that Jesus is greater. We believe that Jesus is of more value than whatever we could get by not following him in obedience. We believe that Jesus is more beautiful. Jesus is more satisfying. It takes courage. Courage to stay, to get up, and to go back in. As we already saw that they stayed when it was hard. They went back in when they were stoned. They got up whenever Whenever he could have just stayed there, it was painful. 
I want to stop before we go too far and just recognize this, that what I'm not saying is courage is reckless. I want you to hear me say this because 20 years ago, I would have been, I would have been all about courage being reckless. But what Paul and Barnabas are doing is not reckless. Walking back into the same city where somebody just stoned you was not reckless. It was faithful in that moment because courage and wisdom are not exclusive. Being courageous doesn't mean that you're stupid. Because if you go back to the beginning of, the, of, of chapter 14, there was a moment when they found out that there was something being stirred up against them. Those same people that were stirring up that they stayed, there was a time when they found out that that was happening and courage sent them away. Both were honoring to the Lord. There are times when we stay and there are times that in, in, in wisdom we move. But all is following, all of that is, is putting ourselves under God's direction and following his spirit's leading. And lastly, let's move just to this last one, the reality of what it takes for us to walk in faithfulness to this call as missionaries facing struggles and trials, even persecution that we have to have. Faithfully living out that calling requires that we have clarity. A clarity in message and a clarity in purpose. What we see for both Paul and Barnabas in this place is that they have a clarity in the message that they're preaching. What they're doing is they're walking in and they're preaching the gospel. The message of Christ crucified was the message that they had on their lips. Now if you fast forward just a little bit to the, end, the middle of chapter 14, what you realize in that spot when they're in Lystra, they, they start from the beginning and they recognize that hey, these guys, they don't have any context for for Jesus at all. They don't know anything about the Old Testament. So they meet that them in that place. But they're always pointing to the fact that Jesus is their hope. And they have a purpose to remain steadfast and to see a church built for the gospel to reach the nations, to go to the ends of the earth. And so it doesn't matter what conflict or what trial, even persecution that they, that they experience, they're going to stay true to the message and the purpose. If we're, going to be, if we're going to live out the calling that we have, it's going to take courage, but it's going to take clarity in the message and the purpose. The gospel is the only good thing for us to share. It's going to take, it's going to take it not only when there's, good, when there's bad moments and suffering, it's going to take it when there's good moments. A time when, when, when after sharing the gospel, after healing, healing this man, they put Paul and Barnabas on their shoulders and they think that they're gods and they want to sacrifice and, and worship them. I can tell you that many of us would struggle with that moment because we struggle in other places when we get praises from people and it may mean that we walk in, 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 in disobedience to God's word because we like the praises of people. They remained steadfast and said, no, no, it's not me. It's the God that we came here to declare to you. The realities for us is, as we reflect on this in chapter 14 and the calling that all of us have that, to be disciples, that make disciples, to, to face that conflict and that, even that persecution with courage that, that has the clarity of the gospel message and the purpose that we exist for. I'm reminded of a quote that Pastor Jason said last week as, as he walked through chapter thir 13. That this calling to be missionaries, disciples making disciples, we don't go at it alone. 
I'm going to invite the band to come back up, and we're going to sing just one song that, that just kind of reminds us of this reality for each of us. That we go at this together as believers, as followers of Christ, as those who have put their faith in Jesus, as brothers and sisters, we share this together. We don't go alone. But even beyond that, what the, the reality is that what we see in chapter 13, verse 4, is that Paul and Barnabas are sent, and it says they're sent with the Holy Spirit. We can declare, we must declare, as we go, that we don't go alone. That we have brothers and sisters that go with us, but there's one who's gone before us that took our place on the cross. Now he takes our place with us and within us. The song that we'll sing, that there's one in the fire, there's one that holds back the water, there's one that's gone with me and that's gone before me. We must declare we're going to see the courage in us to walk faithfully the calling that we have that we're not alone we can hold fast to that truth they're going to sing this over you but let this be a response time for you as God encourages and moves inside this truth that you are not alone you have a calling on your life